You are listening to episode 204 of the Game of Flavors podcast. My name's John, and this week I'm joined by Barry of Premium Edition Games. Hello, everybody. And Barry, I mean, you've been here a few times. Mm-hmm. You know that here on the Game of Flavors podcast, we like to talk about games we are currently playing, games we recently picked up, and this week we're talking a little bit of Blue Dragon on the Xbox 360. I think I yeah. got that right. I, yeah, I give that a little, you know, not as energetic as Ryan, but. I mean, it's yeah. 640 <laughs> at night. <laughs> like, it's six, listen to you. It's 640 at night and it's 940 for me. Hey, I hey, don't look, hear it. look you, you go on like seven podcast episodes every couple days. So like you're, you know, you're kind of in that mode all the time. I'm like, yeah, this is normally like a Sunday, Saturday morning type of deal for me. but you know as i said we're gonna talk some blue dragon here um but first things first uh you can find the game deflators podcast on the game deflators.com our out-of-date website you can find us on social media at instagram at the game deflators also the same thing for facebook and at game deflators on twitter of course find us on your favorite podcast app that you're listening to now and leave us a review barry your turn ah yes so you could find me at uh, twitter uh, at Hawk Hellfire. You could also find Premium Edition Games. You could find us at premiumeditiongames.com. You could also find us at uh, on Twitter at Premium Edition 1. And you can find us on all other social medias at Premium Edition Games. You could also find us on uh, Discord. We have a Discord to join. And uh, we welcome everybody. Awesome stuff. Um, so, Barry, we're going to obviously cover a little bit of a Premium Edition Games update here in a little bit. Um, and, of course, Ryan's not here to enjoy your presence. He had a, an emergency I had to fill in, which is odd because I'm not supposed to be recording till like, November. So this is fun stuff, kind of random. Uh, but we like to talk about our current pickups, right? So I'll go first. Coincidentally, I had a massive pickup. Not massive, massive, but a good pickup for PS2 this week. Um, actually, just post on Instagram. So if you're uh, on Instagram, you should totally check it out. But I grabbed Legend of Ligaia on the PlayStation 1. I grabbed, right? I know. I saw that. I was like, I got to have it. Uh, Gundam, Zeonic Front on the PS2. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. Sky Odyssey and a, a number of other titles like Red Faction 1, Red Faction 2, Vice City. Tons of cool stuff. Um, overall, 100 bucks. Not too bad. So it's like 25 games, a couple PSP games, and Legend of Ligaia for 25 bucks. Everything complete in box, mint, absolute mint condition. This guy, when I met up with him, uh, I had to drive like 90 miles by way uh, back and forth. But this guy, when I'm talking to him, I'm like, hey, so any heavy scratches? He's like, no, no, no scratches. Like, uh, or no, he didn't even say no scratches. He just said no heavy scratches. They're used. They work. And I was like, that's always a clear red flag when you're buying video games that somebody's like, yeah, I'm just going to give you these games that work but they're actually like medium scratches and they might work. They might not. So I was absolutely shocked when I cracked open the first case and not even fingerprints, Barry, like beautiful, beautiful. All of the manuals completely crisp, not a single stain on the outside plastic. I mean, I haven't picked up a collection this clean in a very, very long time. So I was pretty stoked by that. The main reasons I was like, grabbed it were Zionic front and uh, legend of Ligaya. I mean, those two alone are, pretty much close to the value of what I paid. So I thought it was totally worth it. That, I was going to say, where do you, do you find deals like that, man? I, I haven't done game hunting in a while. So um... I, 
I occasionally find like stuff at Goodwill. I'll occasionally find things online, um, forums, local forums of people kind of selling stuff and you just kind of snag it at the right time and message a person. So stuff like that, yard sales is another area that I kind of hit up, but I haven't done those in forever. Dude, I don't honestly do as much as I used to. And I probably won't for a while. This just so happened to be babies asleep. I'm like, I'm just going to kind of peruse online, see what I can find. And lo and behold, this random collection comes up. I'm like, I'm going to go pick that up right now. Hold it for me. And the guy's like, yeah, hundred percent cool. Like I'll, I'll market it sold and you come and, you know, pick it up. So you got lucky, man. A lot of people will, will not even hold that deal. Someone will message mm -hmm. them and say, I'll give you 150. And then you get there after driving 90 minutes or, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, well, someone else beat you or offered more. Dude, I've had that. And honestly, what I've started to do versus small collections like that is I usually go for the big collections nowadays. So if somebody's selling, you know, collections, five, 600 bucks, maybe $700. And I can be like, Hey, look, I'll pick it up right now. If you'll drop it like 150 or 500 or two, 500, you know? And, uh, those collections, the reason I go for that is not as many people are as equipped to just like straight up go grab a collection of that size. Right. So generally I can get more bang for my buck, more titles, better titles, and just quickly drop it and then sell stuff I need to sell locally and then kind of keep what I want to keep obviously to recoup my funds. But you know, it's just kind of a benefit of that and, and going for collections of that size. But like those hundred dollar collections very rarely do I actually go for those just because of exactly what you stated. Somebody's going to come in, they're going to be like, Hey, I'll offer you 140. Oh, I'm five minutes away. I'll come pick it up right now. So you don't have to wait an hour. That person can flake. You always have that crap coming, you know, when you, when you don't expect it. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how your area is. My area is very competitive. There's a lot of a lot of densely populated. So there's a lot of people here. And uh, I would used to years ago would go to garage sales and people would be fighting over games. They would be you know, road rage style to get to the next sale to compete with other people. I had games ripped out of my hands that I was looking at. Jeez. It, I, I was tripped going up the stairs in an estate sale by someone who wanted to get there first. They literally tripped me. It was to the point that I was just like, you know what, whatever it is, I'd rather just save my time, spend a little extra online and not have to deal with that crap. Yeah, I I generally haven't done garage sales in a while because I tend to strike out on garage sales, but I've heard generally can be pretty good out this way. We're in a similar situation. I think we're at five or six million people, but it's spread out a little further. It's not densely populated like you have. So when it comes to garage sales, you know, we're going to have various suburbs and cities within the overall valley here in, in the Phoenix metropolitan area that it's not too rough, right? Like if you're a major collector or somebody that's like obviously looking to resell on a consistent basis, you can't be in say Queen Creek in Arizona, which is like 50 miles from Glendale or 50 miles from like downtown Phoenix in that general area. Like you can't be two places at once. So it's so spread out here that it obviously allows for a little less heavy competition in a sense. Although things like things like Goodwill though, which coincidentally is corporate headquarters is in Arizona. We have a lot of Goodwill locations. So that's also a benefit for us in that, you know, in my general area, there's probably, I don't know, three or four Goodwills within like a 10 mile radius or, or less. So yeah, I mean like I can hit up my local Goodwill at 11 or so every single day and have that consistent, you know, they're dropping new stuff out. So I've had some pretty good pickups, although I was pissed on Sunday. I went out and that's actually what kind of got me to to look for some games online. 
is I went to my Goodwill and a guy found Mario and a Thousand Year Door on GameCube Complete in Box for four dollars no. at a Goodwill. Wow. But while he was bragging to me, I picked up a Dragon Ball Z Raging Blast number two, uh, several other PS3 games, a couple PS2 games, and really just had a nice stack of, say, I want to say about $100, $120 in games, plus a blue PS3 controller. And I got that for about $16. So the whole time he's like, oh, I was, I'm still shaking from grabbing this game. And uh, I can't believe I grabbed this. And he's like sitting here bragging to me. And I'm just looking at the bottom shelf. I'm like, yoink, 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 yoink. Thank you. Have a good day. I'm going to go to the electronics now. Some people like, just, they're, they're so laser focused. But it mm-hmm. also depends what they're buying. Like, are you buying to resell? Either you want the most bang for your buck? Are you buying for a collection? Are you, you know, how are you doing it? Because there's times where I'll grab stuff and other people will be like, oh, why are you grabbing that stuff? That stuff's not worth much. I'm like, you're right. It's like a four or five dollar game and it's a, you know, 50 cents here, but I don't have it in my collection. I'm not buying a resale. Yeah. So. And see, I, and I don't normally buy to resell either. I buy for games that I obviously want to have in my collection, what I want to play. Um, sometimes you have to consider it though. Like I was saying, if you're dropping $500 in a collection, you kind of need to recoup some of your losses. So you want to make it worth it. But the benefit of buying those larger collections is you end up with a lot of duplicates that you can resell. And then you have that excess obviously. But in this case, every single game I picked up outside of maybe two were, uh, new for me. So it was kind of nice. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to get some new titles in there. The thousand year door absolutely would have just been a quick resell. And then buy, you know, maybe a premium edition game. <laughs> so, um, and then currently playing, um, playing Blue Dragon right now with my wife, and we'll get into that any inflation deflation. But did you have any pickups? Um, yeah, so I had uh, an interesting one. I I get all the Switch games for those that know me. I, I I do a Switch set, so all the new Switch games as they come out, I get. Uh, but I don't, you know, I haven't picked up the lots in a while, and I've kind of shifted away from getting more accumulating more games for older systems I'll, I'll still get them at a good deal or if i find them um but i'm at that point where you know if someone says oh check this out as a store as a wall of games and i look at it and I go i don't have the energy right now to just to cherry pick or look through um because most of these i have or or they're like all the ones i really want to play i have and do i really want to pick up some shelf filler um so i go for display pieces now i'm really big into a museum aspect uh stuff that you know are harder to find because i I find it more rewarding when i do find something you know like paper mario thousand year door great game you know i have it but if i didn't have it i can go on ebay and i could find it you know like all right cool um pay 40 56 whatever it's up to now and just get it and that's cool there's nothing wrong with that but i like to the thrill of the hunt you know like let me try and find something that that's harder to get and then put it on display and, and talk about it because I'm also a historian with, with gaming. Uh, so I did discover that because uh, because I, I love quirky stuff. And in, in Nintendo, when they entered China, uh, many people may know this or if you don't know this, this is news. Um, they did release some Nintendo products over there, but they re- released them under the IQ brand. Uh, most famously was the 64, with the, which would, had the built in or the digital games. Um, it was just an N64 controller that you plugged in, um, but they also released some handhelds, and I thought for the longest time that the DSi was the final one to hit China, but it turns out I was wrong, and they did apparently, and I just learned this, uh, which is cool, they uh, they did release one model of the 3DS in China, which was the 3DS XL, not the standard, not the new, not the 2DS, 
only the 3DS XL, and they only released it as three different special editions, the, the Mario Kart 7 uh, for the anniversary. Uh, those are the only ones released in China. Apparently it didn't do well. IQ went out after that. But I never no idea that they even existed. I was like, oh my God, there's an IQ 3DS XL, and I found one complete in box. Uh, so I'm like, all right. So I got that in and made sure it's it's in and safe. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Like that's going in display now because I, I and when I've I've been doing this for so long. When I learn something, it's extra fascinating for me because it's like I wow, I'm like a kid in school. I just learned something. So then I get to pass that on. But it was really cool finds. Nice dude. Yeah, I think I've seen your the other like your left hand side there a couple times, which is pretty cool. I think you have a bunch of boxes over there. If I'm correct, or you got uh, a line. Oh, I've got I got left. one display. Yeah. I got one display on that side, but this is I did. My display got so big that I, I couldn't even put Nintendo. Nintendo's in its own separate display. Very nice. Uh, just for handhelds, but uh, no, I do have a display to my left. That's a different one. That's that's Korean systems. That's what I think I showed you last time. Yeah. What are you using for a display? Are you using like the IKEA glass display cases? Or? Um, for some like like the ones to my left, I do. But otherwise, it's all custom build. Uh, oh, nice. What I do is I take because when you have a house you can't always get perfect spaces and you have yeah. to work within the confines of what your floor plan. So I found the areas where I'm like, I could build an irregular shelf here. And then instead of just buying a shelf, which wouldn't maximize the space and, you know, a lot of shelves they have, you know, say a foot long cubby and you only need six inches, that's six inches of wasted space. Uh, what I did is I, I took everything I want to display. I make little color forms. I take the dimension of, how high I have, and I start, you know, factoring the thickness of the board, and I start building custom shelves. So that's what the, the the biggest thing on the bottom, and what else is that? And I start color forming it and making sure it fits, and then I put the next shelf up so that everything fits. And I can instead of having, let's say, four shelves or five shelves, I can make it eight or nine shelves in the same spot, so I could display more. So the the ones behind you to hold your PlayStation games are those custom shelves? These as well are custom. Yep, nice. these are custom. Yep. Nice. They're, those are those are actually just like on the wall with an L bracket. Uh, they're mm -hmm. not. There's no like side structures. It's it's within the wall. But yeah, I found and and biggest best advice I could give any collector: if you have a lot of games to display, custom shelves are the best. They used to be a lot cheaper. Now with wood going up, it's a little bit more pricey. But you can truly maximize. So like if you have PlayStation, you're talking about PlayStation games. You know, CD size is much smaller than a DVD size. So I discovered you could have eight DVD size shelves or 12 CD size shelves. So if you want to put all the CDs, you know, correctly and not like stacked on top of each other, uh, you can get an extra four shelves in the same spot if you build it yourself. And four shelves is, you know, 33% more room that that adds up or 50% or more room if you're just going with the eight shelves. Um, it's it certainly adds up. Yeah, for sure. I've actually got, um, I think it's like Alaska Media, I think is what I have. It's, yeah. um, you know, those box shelves that are like probably six feet tall and you can kind of customize like the height and mm -hmm. everything through little, you know, bits that kind of hang on the inside. And uh, I tend to like those. I mean, they're about 120, 130 bucks a piece, but oh, I've yeah. had them. I've brought them, you know, through multiple moves now. I've never had an issue where they've broken. And anytime the backing, like, it's like a paper type backing, whenever that backing becomes, you know, not mm -hmm. brittle, but when it kind of starts to peel off, you just kind of re-nail it and glue it and you're all good to go. But they've held up nicely and anybody that kind of follows us on Instagram and such has probably seen those plenty of times in pictures and <laughs> yeah, they hold up pretty nice. So that's another thing with some of those shelves. They're also deep, you know, they're yeah. like a foot deep and like you could put two rows and it's like, well, then you can't see the back row. Yeah. 
So mm -hmm. if you if you do a custom, you could do it, you know, so it's only six inches and that gives you more walkway too. It makes the room a little bigger. Well, that's what I like about the Alaska media ones. They're only DVD depth. Oh, that's so perfect. Yeah, it's perfect, perfect. So it's all good. All that I do have this stupid lip on the bottom for some reason, I guess for stabilization it's purposes. Stabilization. Yeah, and I'm like, oh God, I hate that so much. Because I have <laughs> it, I have it like bracketed to my wall so it doesn't move. And um, yeah, that just kind of blows. All right, well, uh, dude, I need to hear, and I think the rest of the people need to hear if they haven't yet, uh, Series 5 of Premium yes. Edition Games. So let's hear the update, man. There's some, some good stuff coming out. Yeah, so we finally revealed uh, our Fall Direct, and uh, we revealed that we're doing things series a little differently this time. Uh, we started with Series 4, but we, we're continuing Series 5 and on. We're going to do series based on seasons, uh, so we're going to shoot for four series a year. Uh, we we feel that's a little bit better. We could have the series be you know as big or as little as we need them to be and space them out um, properly so that every game still gets the time it needs and we're still going you know still going to go slowly um but we we did that with uh series four we launched at the beginning of summer uh it was actually it was in may it was actually technically spring but it was like a spring summer we were transitioning into this and then we did rack and ruin uh which was in the summer and that was actually supposed to be a series five title and the reason that wasn't is because that was supposed to be paired with raji those were going to be series five and Raji had a delay. Uh, they were not ready, but Rack and Ruin was sitting there and we're like, well, what do we do? This game's sitting there. The developers are ready. Uh, so we said, let's, let's, let's change this up. Let's make it a series four title. And, and series five is going to be four titles. So it's going to be our biggest series yet uh, over the span of two months. So this month starting uh, whenever this goes live, but starting on the 6th of October, uh, which is this Thursday as of the time of the recording at noon Eastern, uh, we will put up the first half of Series 5, which is the first, uh, the, the beginning, really, of our wonderful partnership with Screenwave Media and uh, RetroWare. And we're really proud to be working with them. They're a wonderful group, uh, wonderful publishers, and uh, we look forward to many more collaborations. But our first two titles are from them. Uh, the first is a game called Love 3 from Fred Wood. Uh, this is a 2D uh, platformer. Uh, the graphic style are very primitive. It's, it's style like, you know, the Atari Commodore days, you know, Sega Master System, if you will. Um, but don't let that fool you. The platforming is top notch. It is challenging. And on top of that, you get all the Love 3 levels, but you also get all of Love 1 and Love 2's levels. So it's really three games in one, uh, which is fantastic. It's a lot of content and a lot of challenge. And then our second game uh, for this partnership that's going live on the 6th is a game called Eagle Island Twist, which is kind of a lie. It's really two games in one. The original Eagle Island is a Metroidvania procedurally generated adventure. Uh, people spend hundreds of hours in this. It's a, a fantastic 16-bit adventure. And then Eagle Island Twist is a whole new game. It's like it's more uh, like you have like a Mario 3 style map and each level has different objectives. There's like a Smash Brothers level. There's, you know, standard like Mario platformers. Um, you have you know, boss battles. It's, it's a lot of fun. So you're getting both of these games on the card. All our games are complete on card. Uh, they will have the standard and the retro edition. They will be 40 for the standard and 60 for the retro. We, we heard the cries from Series 4 about the price. We, we, we figured out a way to lower it back down. So it's going back to what we originally started with the first few series. Um, so 40 and 60, and those go live. Open pre-order. It's a 30-day open pre-order. 
Uh, we, we really want uh, everyone to be able to get these games. They're awesome. And if you do pre-order on our webpage, uh, you do get the dog tag. We are still doing dog tags. It's a free bonus. It's just our way of saying thank you. Um, so that's the first half of Series 5. The second half of Series 5 will come in November. And that is another two games. That is Raji, an ancient epic, the enhanced edition, which we teased last direct. That's phenomenal action adventure style with Indian mythology and Indian culture. Um, beautifully crafted. And it was great when it launched, but it's even better with the enhanced edition. So we wanted to make sure we got that version uh, physical. That game, the developers are so passionate about it. We actually had to change the script in the direct multiple times because the retro actually changed. The retro edition of that was supposed to come with an art book. We were going to do a Super NES style art book. Uh, they were like, this sounds great. Let's do an art book. We were all excited for it. We had the mock-ups. We were all ready to go. And then we got a notify notification from them. Um, so the art book, we were at like 120 pages. And we're like, what the? Like, this isn't a Super Nintendo size thing at this point. So we're like, all right, we need to do something else. So now we have a, a shadow puppet because the story is told with shadow puppets. Uh, so you get the Raji shadow puppet so you can make your own little adventure. Um, and now we're doing something special where, we're, you know, we're... It looks like we're doing a another deluxe. We haven't done deluxe since Robot. But instead of a strategy guide, you're getting that art book because that art book is just so massive. They, like, <laughs> they just have so much art and, and concept and storyboards. So you're getting the whole thing. Uh, and then we're going to add some extra shadow puppets so you can really create the, your own Raji storyline. Uh, so that so you should you should go for super deluxe and it comes with a little mini wooden theater too. Oh, that, that, <laughs> that's something, you know, it's something we could always uh, decide later. Um, the deluxe, you know, we, we, that's not on the site yet because we're, that's, we're still in the, in the final process of it, but um, the book just got so big and they all, they're so passionate. We, we're, we're going to help you and help, help, the, help the developers get that out there. Cause it's, the art's beautiful. Uh, and the, and the final game of series five, uh, last but certainly not least, and it's perfect for the Halloween season, is They Bleed Pixels. Uh, this is a, another two-dimensional platformer with very challenging levels. But the cool thing is, is it has a one-button combat system. And the one button, uh, it's like Smash Brothers, depending on which direction you move the analog stick. When you push the button, you'll do different attacks. Uh, so the key is you need to do combos and attack the enemies to fill up a meter. And when the meter is filled up, you can now create a checkpoint. So if you come to a challenging area, you can create a checkpoint. And you could as many times as it takes for you to get through that checkpoint, it's great. Um, lots of levels, really cool story. Lots of blood. Oh, there's lots of blood. This, this, this is going to rival Super Blood Hockey for our bloodiest game. Uh, and just a tremendous... Uh, adventure to be had and we're so we're so honored to work uh, with all of these nodding head games super uh you know spooky squid pixel nicks fred wood screen wave we're honored to work with all of these wonderful wonderful developers and publishers uh to be able to bring these titles out there and we're so proud of our series five and we're and we're happy that the reception has been wonderful and that so many people are excited. And I uh, just can't wait for people to eventually get them in the hands once the production is done and do those challenges and earn those patches. Because, uh, you know, that was obviously one of the big highlights. Uh, not the only thing we announced during the, the direct, but the, definitely the thing a lot of people came to see. Well, you know what I came to see is a Premium Edition Games flask. Yeah. Purchase as, <laughs> as merch. Yes, you can. <laughs> I noticed that was uh, highlighted a bit on the direct. Um, I forgot who it was that was talking about it. So I might have been you, but it's just like, and Josh. we have, and we have merch. 
And it's just like, and it just kind of stayed right on that flask. And I'm like, yeah, somebody didn't like the flask idea. (laughs) Oh, no, no. It was actually, that was Josh's idea with the flask. um, And he was the one talking about it. That's why he stayed on it. He's like, this is my idea. I'm just going to kind of make sure people buy this. (laughs) Prove a point. The flask is funny because we put it on the website. uh, And I think within 10 minutes, we had people buying the flask. It was funny. We didn't announce it. It was just, okay. But what's interesting is when we put the flask on the website, it was just something we were just trying it. But we actually put Rack is on the flask before we announced Rack and Ruin. We actually had Rack on the website, on the flask, and we're like, oh, crap. You know, Rack and Ruin hasn't even been announced yet, but here he is. Let's see if anybody notices. And nobody paid attention. No one no one said anything about it, which is pretty funny. But, yeah, we do we do a flask where we have more merchandise in the, in the wings, and we're always looking for new suggestions for some cool new stuff because people we get that question a lot like oh what about some cool merch uh so we're we're always looking into what people want if we could do it we're gonna try and do it uh premium edition games wacky waving inflatable arm tube man yeah (laughs) that would be (laughs) scary (laughs) (laughs) i think it would sell well oh man i don't know I'll, I'll tell you what, why don't you put up the production cost of it and we'll see how it does. And <laughs> I know. mean, what's what's my cut and does it have Ryan's head on it or mine? Oh, well, it wouldn't be premium. That, we, we, that well, would it be could have all of us. It could, it could be like a, a three headed beast of like oh, God. you, Ryan and me. Oh, that now, now it's definitely not going to sell. That would be a stuff of nightmare. Dude, it, perfect time. You list it perfect. right now just before Halloween. <laughs> Oh, trick-or-treaters are running for the hills. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you want, right? I don't want people ringing my doorbell. Um, well, dude, thanks for the update. Uh, always appreciate having that on here. And I mean, we're excited for the next one. Well, we got we got this more, a couple more updates in there, too. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that, was got just, a, that was the main event. That's just the main, yeah. We've got... Um, go ahead and let the people know about that sound that you tricked yes. me on months ago. Yes. We tricked a lot of people on the sound. Uh, that's why we had to play it again. Uh, but at the end of our series three direct, we played a sound as our last tease. And so many people are like, what is this? I don't get this. And a few people did get it. They sent DMs. I, I said, don't don't spoil it. Just send DMs. And uh, I think a lot of people forgot. Like it was one of those. I don't know what it is. Out of sight, out of mind. Uh, so we replayed it again. And now a lot of people understood what it was. It was a PlayStation 5 startup sound. Uh, and it was the announcement of we are going to be doing PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 releases physically. Uh, we will have titles to announce soon, but we did want to make that announcement. Uh, so in our Discord, we do have a suggest a release channel where we've always asked people, hey, if you have some cool uh, Switch games you want to see physical, you know, let us know. Well, now that applies to PlayStation as well. Uh, we are not going to say like, oh, it's not on Switch, so we're not going to do it. We'll do PlayStation exclusives. We don't care as long as the game's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that was one of our other major announcements. Uh, we had a couple other things. Uh, Switch Collector Volume 2 uh, Part 2 Abridged is on Kickstarter right now. So you could back that. The first two volumes uh, you can get there as well uh, through the, uh, the, uh, the add-ons. Uh, we announced there's a CD coming. We're, we're doing a music CD. We're publishing uh, something brand new. So it's like, hey, let's 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 branch out. Uh, we have another book, the Console Collector's Field Guide by our one of our designers, Tristan. That's available on our site now. And he does have another book coming uh, that we didn't talk about. But there is another book from him coming. He's a great, great guy. Uh, and that, that book's hefty. Let me tell you, that book, you know, I could break a table. It's, that thing is 
massive, awesome. It's definitely not a, a field guide to bring with you, but it is. It, and I, I joke with him about that, but it is it is an awesome, awesome book. Uh, so yeah, we we try and do some really cool things. We have obviously series four in production right now. Uh, you know, so Wonderling DX, uh, Rain Your Parade, and uh, Rack and Ruin are in, in the production stages. Or Body on NES. Uh, is finishing up production. The carts actually just arrived, so we have to start assembling and get some stuff in, so we can, if we could finish and make the complete package. We've got uh, Robot Named Fight, a title that people have asked us, "Where's Robot? We want Robot." You know, sold out completely. We did another print run because we had leftover steelbooks, and we just released it. It's on the site now. The steelbook edition is available. Uh, that is super limited. There is less than 600 on the webpage. Uh, like 300 extra more that are going to go to conventions. Uh, super, super limited on this. Uh, you know, this won't be reprinted. Like, like if we reprint it again, it might be the standard versions of Robot. But the uh, the Steelbook edition, this is a limited one. So make sure to get that. And people have been like, where's Robot? I want Robot. I missed Robot. Uh, so that is definitely something to not, not sleep on. And then we were going to have the Gamers for Gamers variants for Series 3. Uh, those are actually starting to sell at conventions, certain conventions uh, where they are at. But they will go onto the site throughout the rest of this year, one by one. So if you want those other variants of Phenotopia, Awakening, Mighty Fight Federation, or Cathedral, uh, stay tuned to the website, follow, you know, subscribe and all that to our newsletter, and uh, and they will come this fall. Good stuff. Yeah. Always good stuff. Lots of stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you uh, when you said series five is the biggest one so far, yeah, you're not lying. Yeah, quite yeah, a bit. We're really excited. We're really excited. Well, uh, be sure to go check out Premium Edition Games website. Uh, pick up some of those titles that they have coming out for pre-order, and then of course the the wonderful flask that's on there too. <laughs> I'm gonna keep Can't hammering that flask. one. That, yeah, you gotta you, you gotta let them know. Now you know the next time we do this, I better see a flask because if you're gonna if you're gonna hammer it, you gotta you know have what you preach, right? True. You're gonna send me a review copy? Oh no, no yeah. <laughs> you gotta put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm, I'm giving the free promotion here to go get that flask. <laughs> I don't even have a flask. I can't even show one. <laughs> no, see, you can't even talk about it. I can't even show one. Um, good stuff, man. Well, let's. Uh, I got some fun articles here that I figured we could kind of talk about. And uh, the first one, we don't have to be super lengthy in these. I mean, a lot of people are hearing this in the news anyways. This one, not so much, though. So a tattoo artist recently and successfully sued 2K for replicating their design in a WWE 2K wrestler which I thought was pretty interesting. This was uh, Chris Scullin at Video Game Chronicles talking about this. So apparently uh, the wrestler Randy Orton in WWE had a specific tattoo that was designed on his arm. Uh, Artist said, hey, I didn't get permission to use my design in the game. And she ended up winning the lawsuit. I think it was like $3,700 in damages, apparently. Um, They kind of deemed that while the art was hers and she should receive some damages for it, her art wasn't a reason for money being made by the game and it wasn't a critical point. So that's what they ended up deciding for her, but really an interesting take and would like to hear your opinion on that in regard to, I guess, really tattoos and games and I guess the designs of other people and what should constitute as, you know, open rights to be able to use that type of, you know, artwork versus not. Talk about a can of worms. Right. I mean, this is this is a, almost as slippery of a slope as you can get. 
um, because you, you know, one hand you want the characters to be as realistic as possible, right? Realism in games, especially sports games, uh, has been a drive probably for the entire sporting industry of, in the, in the video game field. Um, but then to worry, all this is going to do is everyone's going to be like, oh, you have, ta- you're, you're not going to have tattoos now. We can't afford to, we, you know, so then you're going to lose that realism, um, it's just like music copyrights, right? You know, when, when YouTube people were using music and just having fun and then the first copyright strikes hit and then it was like, oh, we're not using music. That I could at least understand because that is actually someone's, it's easier to do. You're clearly using their music. This is just a real slippery slope and it's going to have everybody walking on eggshells over every little thing, like little art little little anything a billboard in a game oh who you know you have to get a you know make sure all the rights are there and i mean it's just like any other media well even like building designs like oh yeah. well i was an architect for x company and my design of this building is in you this know game. it's funny you say that because that's a real thing um in in some regard and and a big example i don't know if you've ever played spider-man on the playstation yep. 4 mm-hmm. if you play that game you have this beautiful recreation of new york city it is awesome now some liberties are taken like the the wall street bull is gone in the city of lockjaw the bulldog bear and so cute little things like that but if you if you have you played miles morales not yet no if you play miles morales is one big noticeable difference between spider-man and miles morales there is an actual building that is missing and that building is the chrysler building there is a building in the chrysler building spot but it's an it's a fake building. It is not the Chrysler building because I believe the story goes that the Chrysler building was sold between games and the new owners didn't give permission hmm. for the game because for, for the, the building because the building is iconic. It's not just a standard square building. You you could show most random people the Chrysler building and they'll be able to pinpoint it what it is. Um, and they didn't have the rights to use it. So they had to create a different building in that exact location for Manhattan. That's pretty um, cool. So didn't know about that. So yeah, like you boot up Miles Morales or look at I mean look at YouTube, you can see like Chrysler building Miles Morales. They'll, they'll, you know, there's videos yeah. on it. It's really interesting that the rights to the building were not there. It's just a public building. I mean, you can look at it. You could take a picture of the Chrysler building and 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 go, here's my I could post it online as much as I want. I don't need the rights to take a picture of it. But because of this, they they needed the rights to digitally put it in there. Well, so you brought up the sports component um, a moment ago and how athletes and, you know, any tattoos and such. What I did find interesting and it was noted in here as well is there was another lawsuit that happened a while back for a basketball game. And it was with LeBron James and some of his tattoos. But that person ended up losing that case. And the reason they lost is because the NBA has a deal with its players for likeness and image. So they're able to utilize uh-huh. them for that purpose. So when it came to video games, they didn't need to get artist approval for the tattoo that was on his body. So it's interesting. And I wonder if this will change policy at WWE oh, specifically yeah. for that. 100%. Um, yeah, it would have to. But, you know, I'm kind of on the side, you know, with tattoo and such myself that, you know, the artist that worked on my tattoo put in his own design, right? His own elements into that tattoo. And so if there was a picture taken or anything like that and people ask, where did you get it? I'll say, oh, I got it. It's such and such a tattoo Mm -hmm. artist. And I think that's really kind of the big debate here, right? It's, there's no, I guess no, um, uh, what would you call it? Um, I guess it's not notated who the artist was, right? Like I could see maybe at the end providing credit to the various artists and tattoos that were done on those wrestlers. 
and then being able to give that credit to those artists that might be a cool way to get around it and but, also give some notoriety to those but people. here here's here's the other side of the coin so now i'm going to be double devil's advocate here um one like the they decided that tattoo was not the reason the game sold people didn't True. buy for that but now let's say that wrestler goes to a convention right yeah. and 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 he's charging for photo ops yeah and that tattoo is clearly visible so now they're making money with that tattoo clearly visible in the image does that tattoo artist deserve a fair share of that picture because that Good tattoo point. is in the pic- the photo that the wrestler is making money on and in, you know and in my opinion the answer is no because when you do that you're paid for a service yep um so for example i'm gonna use premium for example like all of our art that we have commissioned um for any of our games we own the rights to that art we absolutely we own the rights we pay we have as art commissioned we own the rights so if we said hey we want to put that art on a dog tag we don't need to get the permission of the artist again to do so because we've already paid them for the service for use of that that artwork with promotion and with mm-hmm. stuff for, for what we do at premium edition um and and i feel that if you're an artist you're a tattoo artist you got paid for your service you that's your service and at that point if the recipient of the tattoo decides to plug you know that's up to them they don't have to do anything at that point they've paid for the service that's a good point and you know when it also comes what it comes down to as well is what's going to happen that tattoo artist can say hey i put that on your arm i own that so i'm going to chop off your arm so i have the tattoo like yeah you're completely right in that regard as well now if there was a deal if the tattoo if they had a contract let's say and the tattoo artist gave the tattoo for free with the stipulation that they had to promote that tattoo parlor and anytime that's shown they had to constantly just be oh i got this at this i got this at this like a promotion um that would be different but if there's no contract like that and it was just a point of sale you know oh five hundred dollars for this tattoo i don't know what they cost um here it is the five hundred dollars that's done that's done yeah I, I guess it, it can kind of come back to the, the architect component, right, of the Chrysler building in, in specifically the WWE game, right? If the artists or if the, the player or in this case wrestlers likeness and image are not contracted with the company to build a user likeness and image, I can see where one area to kind of get around it might be to make minor, minor modifications to said tattoo. And that should get around it. Once you kind of change oh, yeah. a few things, stays consistent enough um that it's it resembles the actual person you know i think that's another way around this as well what's going to happen is there's going to be a new contract that's going to be passed out i don't know if it's going to be the the if the wrestlers have a uh, association for the wrestlers or each individual wrestler is going to get a brand new contract that's going to say this is for your likeness in all cases if you do not sign it you will not be in another video game but if you sign it you know we are able to use your likeness with with scars with with cuts, with tattoos, with whatever, yeah. uh, you know, you and you were getting a payment, whatever the payment is for your likeness, you're getting that and that's it. And that's what's going to happen. And yeah. that's that's really all. And you're going to see another tattoo artist that's probably going to try and jump and do the same thing, the copycat, right? There's yeah. always that copycat. It's going to happen. And, and it's going to be like you're, they're going to be denied because there's going to be new contracts in place already. Yeah. 
Makes sense. Well, we'll see what happens, dude. It's actually a pretty interesting topic and actually more so than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard about this beforehand. So yeah, yeah. Good. I like it's this. pretty cool. Uh, the next thing, I mean, dude, unless you're living under a rock, you know that Jim Ryan is flying off to Brussels to to go yell at Microsoft and, and all of Europe. But um, so Microsoft launched a web page dedicated to the Activision Blizzard acquisition and how it'll benefit gamers. And uh, this was Alex Co at MP first. Now, really what you know let me open this up and and i'll just kind of tell you some of the the ways that they say this benefits gamers all right so for players it says more games on more devices including xbox playstation phones and online what i'm kind of having a hard time understanding here is that if you use the call of duty example right call of duty is already on xbox playstation phones and online so how does how does that equal more games on more devices. And there's a lot of games that Activision Blizzard has that are in this same situation. It's already on all of these devices. Um, another thing right here is for game creators, more ways to get games in front of more players through support, investment, and better access to gamers. Again, those games are on all of those different devices are heavily promoted, especially ones like Call of Duty. Now, some of your smaller titles, not necessarily as much, but these are all things that are existing. And another one here is it benefits the game industry. More competition in mobile where a couple big players dominate. Well, based on this acquisition, Microsoft would now be the big player between Bethesda, Activision Blizzard, likely EA down the road, and everybody else that they can you know acquire. And so it seems to me like this website is kind of in place to offer some form of validation, but I don't... I, clearly, I'm on the side of I don't think that this acquisition truly benefits gamers in the long run. I think it ends up just being Microsoft being Microsoft. And um, yeah, I just I see this as some sort of validation to try and justify the fact that they're becoming a behemoth. And you can use the argument of, well, Sony just picked up Marquee, you know, House Marquee Studios and they've got all these other great developers. But those developers are working on one, maybe two games every few years. It's not you know, let's pump out a crap ton of games on an annual basis and a huge franchise like Call of Duty. I mean, we're talking Returnal, you know, and Ratchet and Clank, games that have consistently been on one console their entire lifespan um, compared to something like a Call of Duty, which is clearly a big money maker on multiple fronts. So what is your opinion on that? And, and really just in general, the overall acquisition? I mean, I think you're right. I think Microsoft is trying to spin it in a way to get what they want. It's like a kid, right? You know, if you say, Dad, Mom, I want this, and they're, you could tell they're saying going to say no, you try and give all the benefits. But if I had this, I'll have, you know, if video games, I'll have better eye-hand-eye coordination. Or, oh, if I, like the bargaining, if I get this, I'll do this and, you know, for it. Like, whatever you can to get your way. And that's kind of what this feels like. I'm with you. Uh, this... Lately, there just seems to be acquisition after acquisition. There was just one, was it today, was it, you know, or yesterday, where uh, like GameFAQs and GameSpot just got bought. Uh, there's so many acquisitions going on, uh, and some make sense, like Returnal's developer, you know, Ratchet and Clank. Like, they were with Sony, or Nintendo just bought Next Level Games. Uh, you know, they were they were doing stuff with Mario Strikers and, and, and Luigi's Mansion. They were only making Nintendo games. Things like that, no one bats an eye at because it makes sense. You already have a working relationship. Yeah. But Activision is one of the big third parties, the big, big third parties. And when it's a big third party, that is where heads will turn. And if we're not careful, 
and we keep letting this happen, we're going to be getting one one or two companies owning things. I mean, you know, just look at Embracer Group. They they yep. they're just a monopoly at this point yeah. with how many things they own. And and they they just kind of like who are they like just skating by just at, you know acquiring things, and it's it's a very scary slope. And now there's the whole thing with Call of Duty where they're like we'll let PlayStation have Call of Duty for a couple of years and then now that's it. And Sony's like arguing it, and it's I just feel like it's like two kids on a playground arguing and fighting and, and bickering. And I feel the gamers actually lose. You know, I feel we as gamers lose whether you play these games or not. This is not a good thing. There's nothing that Microsoft is going to do to assist with, you know, Activision Blizzard. Because while while Microsoft has money, so does Activision and Blizzard. And and we look at what Activision did to Blizzard. You know, they they made Blizzard worse, arguably, with a lot of people feeling like Diablo has gone downhill and Starcraft went downhill and you know Warcraft went downhill ever since the acquisition. So that doesn't surprise me at all. That now, it's interesting that you brought up Embracer Group, though, because we actually talked about that probably a couple of months ago, whenever that big acquisition just happened. And we actually saw that as a good thing with Embracer Group only because it's a holding company. And a lot of those properties still are in the market. It, yes, it's owned by one entity and they control that. But those things are still multi-platform. They're still going to be available for gamers. They're just kind of taking that in and obviously grabbing those funds as a larger group. Whereas I feel in this situation, it's a little different in that you have a company that's clearly trying to become this behemoth in the industry, clearly trying to rip away games from gamers that say Sony, not necessarily Nintendo, because they clearly have a good relationship, but clearly taking away games from Sony. And it makes me wonder if this does go through, does Sony say, screw you guys, we're buying Square, you know, or screw you guys, we're going to look into buying EA, you know, like, EA would be the big one, honestly, but I don't see that happening. I mean, well, see, my my devil going to play devil's advocate again for Embracer Group is how they operate today doesn't necessarily ha- mean how they are going to operate tomorrow. So if if somebody, and I, I'm not against big companies if run properly, but when you put so much power in the hands of one or two individuals or even a board that can decide things, things can change on a dime. Yep. All right. You say like they let things happen as is, but then tomorrow there's an announcement that they're changing it up and they're only going to publish on this or they're only going to do this or any or they're going to force they're going to put the hand down and they're going to force companies into doing things that they want versus what the company wants. I'm not saying that's happening tomorrow. I'm saying that's always a possibility when you have anybody in a position of power. Well, you know, the power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Um, that's that's a saying for a reason. Um, you know, Microsoft taking jabs at Sony, Sony taking jabs at Microsoft. That's something going on, and yeah. and it's definitely been been something that they played. Like Sony, let's be honest. When the Xbox One came, they made the whole video. Here's how to share games on PlayStation. They took their playful, fun jabs at Microsoft, and and Sony came out with the price of the PlayStation a hundred dollars cheaper than the Xbox to take their jab at Microsoft, and they had fun. And you know what? They laughed all the way to the bank. And Microsoft said, "You know what? Now let your, you 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 poked us enough, and now Sony's scared. And yep. this is Sony acting like, oh, we can talk the talk, but we absolutely can't walk the walk. And right now, Sony is in is in dire straits because they're pissing off gamers everywhere. 
They're raising the price of the PlayStation 5 after it's already been out for two years. That pisses off people. Well, they, depending on regions. So I know in the yes, U.S. Not in the US. it's not, but certain regions. But they're is. still pissing off people. There are people, yep, well, yeah, people yeah. in the U.S. because they don't like that practice. Yeah. There are U.S. people who say, well, screw you, Sony. I'm not going to I'm not going to support that and then yep. support you for that practice because that's just a bad practice. Number two, they they just did Last of Us Part One, which got a lot of criticism because that game didn't need a remake. Exactly. But now there's the Horizon, you know, Zero Dawn getting a remake. That's five years old. That needs it even less. Like, and that just seems like they're just like, we're just going to keep making the same game over and over again because you suckers keep buying. It's like Square Enix with Final Fantasy VII. Square yeah. Enix needs help, so they make another Final... They, they literally take a shit in a jar, they close the lid, and they label Final Fantasy VII on it, and they put it out, and people gobble it up. Why? Because they just eat up anything, and they milk them. And at least Square is saying, well, while you guys fund us with your idiotic purchases where we're going to sell you a remake in three parts and you idiots are going to buy it up. We're going to at least do some, some artsy stuff with voice of cards and Octopath traveler and triangle strategy. So at least they're doing that. Sony's not, Sony's not touching half of their properties and they're just re-releasing over and over. But, but zero dawns, we're going to get some new multiplayer. That's, that's what we want with horizon. The game that's a single player, epic, adventure game with a sequel and was touted as look single player games still exist that's what we are all dying for a multiplayer game in horizon are you so out of touch sony like like i've been running around with a joke and i fully expect sony to announce a remake of god of war ragnarok any day now it's gonna be made (laughs) like i'm just waiting for it because why not look sony and this isn't new for sony i don't know if you remember this when the playstation 4 first launched one of the early announcements they made, it was right after the launch, to get games on it, was they were going to remake or at least port over with an enhanced version of God of War 3. Well, and, and Last like, of Us as well. Well, Last of Us 2, but at least Last yeah. of Us... Uh, no, Last of Us... Well, 1, I mean. 1, yeah. 2 is, two is an also. But, but Last of Us at least came with the DLC on the disc, which was cool. True. But... But God of War 3, it wasn't a God of War collection with 1, 2, and 3. It was literally just God of War 3. And I was like, that game's already in HD. Well, do we really need this? And, and it still I looks good. It still looks good. Yeah. And I know some people will, will say, well, Nintendo did a lot with the Switch early on. But there's a big difference. When Nintendo ported the games over, um, I know some people had criticism. They ported great games from a system that sold 13 million units because no one played those games to a system that's doing well. When Sony's taking games, they're taking games from the, the, the PS3 was, what, 90-something million units? And the PS4 is 117 million units? People played those games, you yeah. know? People played those games. It's a very difference when you port a game from a system that didn't get played versus a system where that was a million seller. Horizon was re-released. God of War 3 was re-released as a greatest hits. Last of Us was re-released as a greatest hits. Like, people played these games. And yeah. the worst part is now, now there's a whole thing with Bloodborne. Oh, well, what about Bloodborne getting remade? And Which why doesn't need a give me Bloodborne 2. Don't give why me Bloodborne are remake. Clamoring for remakes. Yeah. And and this is it. Sony's in a shitty situation and they feel they're, you know, they're, they're looking at this as, oh, well, now the bully is we bullied the bully and the bully is bullying back. Yeah. And and do I agree with this acquisition? No. I don't. I Jeez. didn't agree. But you, you know, can totally I, see the reason it's but happening. But I see the reason why Microsoft's yeah. doing it. And you know what? Microsoft is still, A, first off, they're, they're honoring contracts. Like Deadloop. Deadloop was, was exclusive for a year. Um, they're honoring these contracts. And Microsoft is 
positioning themselves more as a games for service. They're positioning themselves more as a, as a game publisher now as opposed to a console maker. And, I, and I've brought that up several times in the past that I could see this being Microsoft's last console. Oh, and yeah. Seeing them go more into streaming as they've done with like, you know, putting Game Pass on PlayStation. You know, and, switch. And, and, and if that's the announcement, if that's, you know, and obviously it'll be several years from now, right? They're not going to do it in the middle of the Series X. But, you know, say three, four years from now, Microsoft says, hey, contracts of Sony have ended as far as Call of Duty is concerned, but we're done with, with consoles. We've acquired X companies. We're now going to start putting these games on your consoles through Game Pass. They could pay for this service. They can have all these games day one, all this great stuff. I could see that being good for gamers, but we haven't heard anything like that. Right. So we don't know. Is there another Xbox down the road? Are the games only going to be Xbox exclusive? Are they going to be just on Xbox PC? Like those are things we don't know. And we're not going to know for a while. That all depends on Xbox Series X sales and yeah. Series S sales to a lesser degree. Um, and I think the... right now Series X and Series S is like 17 million, if I recall, yeah. something so, like that. So if they are making money on those systems, they will continue. If they're yeah. losing money on those systems, they will take a real good look at it and they will stop. Now, yeah. they might do something in the future like a Series S where they just say it's a game, the Game Pass machine. They won't call it they'll be a little Xbox Game Pass machine. And that'll be it. They'll sell it as a Game Pass machine, a plug and play Game Pass machine. And, and they'll make a lot of money that way. They'll yeah. wor worry about that. And everything else will go to other systems. Yeah. They've already put stuff on Nintendo. They, They've been growing their subscriber base. Their subscriber base is, I think, 20 million plus, right? So they're getting significant revenue coming from, from the streaming alone. And uh, a lot of those games are just sitting there, right? They've been developed. The money's kind of come through. They've had their day one releases. They're getting, you know, enough subscribers in there to to make it worthwhile. And honestly, they're becoming the Netflix of gaming, I think, at this point. And they're, they're unlike Sony, like Sony, the only Sony game that's on other platforms, other than PC with a few games, is MLB The Show. Yep. And the only reason that is, is because MLB said, you have to do this or you lose the license because they yep. want everybody to experience the game. Mm -hmm. Sony or, or Xbox and Microsoft are putting their games on other platforms. They did it with, with Minecraft when they bought Minecraft and they've just been on everything. They, they have a great working relationship with Nintendo. They just did that deal with GoldenEye where Nintendo and Microsoft work together to get GoldenEye on both platforms. Even Nintendo, you know, Nintendo allowed Platinum to take Wonderful 101 to PlayStation. Mm -hmm. They allowed, uh, they, they co-own, um, Fatal Frame and yep. both Fatal Frame and 5 and on... Fatal Frame 4 are on all other platforms mm -hmm. and Nintendo allowed that to happen. Um, so even Nintendo's being more open and when Nintendo's more open about it than you are, Sony, yeah, that's bad. That's yeah. Bad. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, not to, you know, cut us off, but let's, uh, let's dive into our game this week that we're going to talk about. And uh, coincidentally, it's an Xbox 360 exclusive. That's Blue Dragon. It was developed by Mistwalk Artoon, published by Microsoft Game Studios. It was uh, directed by Takuya Matsumoto, uh, which is actually the one of the original creators of Final Fantasy. Uh, released in August of 2007 in North America. It actually came out in 2006 in Japan. It's an RPG and receptions anywhere between an 8 to a 9 out of 10. Uh, generally. So the game itself, it sounds like you played this as well all the way through. I'm assuming you beat it. I have not. I'm about 10 hours into the game right now with my wife. I am currently in the, um, it is a hospital, like an abandoned hospital of some sort. I just finished like the, the drill area. Like when you have that drill robot thing, just finished that, got into the actual uh, hospital and that's where we're at right now. Uh, but the overall game is a kid named Shu whose village 
is being attacked by what's essentially a land shark. Uh, turns out to be a giant robot that is controlled by a dude named, I think it's Nene is what they call him. And I just have to laugh at the name every time. Um, and really they're on this quest essentially to, you know, take down Nene at this point. And uh, it's an open world, not open world, but it is, it has that open world, linear open world feel of an RPG where you can kind of walk around, choose your battles. You don't necessarily need to go into every single encounter. You can choose which encounter you want to go to. You can take multiple encounters at one time. So it's definitely a pretty interesting concept in general. Uh, the art style that I've seen in this game is very reminiscent of Dragon Quest. And that makes a hundred percent sense because uh, Akita Toriyami is the head artist and he did Dragon Ball, Chrono Trigger and Dragon Quest. So of course the art is going to take that form. And, uh, you know, really when you kind of look at this RPG battle system and what I've experienced, it's, it's very much like your general turn-based RPG, except there's some elements that are kind of unique to this. I think one being the magic system in you can kind of select, and I think it's based on power, right? Like you can hold down, in this case, it's the A button, I think, on Xbox. I always forget, but X on PlayStation. And you can hold down that button and hold your spell. And it has little grids that show you the turn in which certain enemies are going to be coming into play. And you can decide the power of your spell based on when you want to release it. But there is the chance that you end up having, uh, you let a couple enemies take a turn before you. So you have to be strategic on it. So it's a pretty cool concept within it. You have these shadows, which are essentially the blue dragons that are on your characters, and they allow you to do magical attacks and uh, help you with spells and other facets of the game. So pretty cool system. And what we've played so far, we enjoy the story. It's pretty interactive. Um, we're liking that a bit. Uh, it does at times feel a little quick. And what I mean by that is it's not super in-depth every single part of the story. It's... Um, I don't want to say it's poorly written, but it's easily written in a sense. Like you can, you get a quick understanding of what's happening, but it's not super deep. Uh, that'd probably be my only qualm so far in playing the game, but overall we're absolutely loving the game. So what, what is, I mean, since you beat the game, is it totally worth it to continue playing at this point? I mean, I'm 10 hours yeah. in, it's a 40 hour game. Yeah, I'd definitely say so. Uh, I don't remember all the nuances because I played it back in 2007. Yeah. So it's <laughs> I've slept since I've played it, but uh, I very much enjoyed the game. Uh, it was I can see it's a little lighthearted in a lot of ways, but it does like the the other shoe drops towards the end of the game, and uh, I enjoyed it so much that I actually went out and I used to, I found it on YouTube. I don't know if it's still there, but there was an anime too. Blue Dragon anime. And what's interesting is I was watching it, you know, I was just like, oh, this is cool. It's an adaptation. And then the anime changes. So the story in the anime is actually different than, like, by it starts off the same, but it's different than the game. And, like, I was waiting for, like, one of the shoes to drop. I'm like, oh, here comes the shoe. Here come... And it didn't happen. I was like, wait, what? Like, hold on. You just changed everything about the story. So it was like a Full Metal Alchemist kind of thing going on. Yeah. Uh, the story is well worth it. I, the characters are fun. The, the dragons are great. Each have their own different personalities. It's almost like a persona in a sense. Uh, I love I love the artwork. Akira Toriyama Toriyama is amazing with everything he does. And uh, you know, <sighs> Mr. Walker did three games, and all three of them, at least three games. I, I don't know what they're doing now, if anything, but they're all excellent. You know, Blue Dragon, Lost Odyssey, and uh, and um, Last Remnant. Not Last Remnant. What's it? Uh, last Story. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, you, you bring up Lost Odyssey. That's that's one as well that I need to play. I oh, actually so, good. so dude, I purchased a while back, I tried to start purchasing any Xbox 360 exclusive that I could for this exact purpose was to dive into some of these games that I didn't get to enjoy when the PlayStation 3 was out. So we had a next to nothing podcast on uh last week, or just on well, I guess technically last week. And uh I wasn't on that episode, but I just overheard like, why is he playing Blue Dragon? And my thought is just why not? Like, why not dive into this game? Like, it's no different than me diving into, you know, a game that was made in like 1996, right? I didn't get to play it. So let me play it now. Um, So yeah. All right. So, you know, we're looking at right now in today's market uh, in October 4th of 2022, a complete inbox copy is running about 1555. And these are all price charting prices. So there could be some, you know, plus minus here. It peaked at $25 in May of 2021 when just about everything peaked, and that's trending down right now. A loose copy will run you $15.15, so not too far off. That peaked at $20 in November of 2017, and that's actually trending up a little bit. So looking at the price point of, say, we'll just say $16, I think that's well worth it, to be honest. For a game like this, I'd be willing to pay up to $20 if it was available at that price point I didn't have access. Um, so I would say, you know, in terms of inflated, deflated, inflated being, it's not worth the price deflated being it's totally worth the price and you'd be able to pay more. I would say this game is absolutely deflated at this point. I would totally pay 20 bucks for this if I could, or if I needed to. Yeah. Uh, actually, ironically, the expensive one is, uh, the, one of the DS follow-ups because this is one of those weird games where the follow-ups is two follow-ups to this and they're both on the DS. I'm pretty sure I have, uh, one of the DS games. The first one, the first one, uh, returns. I think it is is the cheap one, and then Awakened Shadows is the expensive one. That's the second one released. Yeah, I'll tell you right now which one I have. I'll, you know, for those that do collect and like to hear about collecting from us, uh, price charting, I find it to be pretty helpful. Has a number of cool features on it. Uh, one of which is you can actually import your collection, and then it'll actually tell you the percentage of games that you own on that specific system. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, okay, so Blue Dragon Plus is what I have. Yeah, Plus, that's the first one. Yeah, so I have that one. And that's the cheaper one. That's about which was the bucks. other one you said? Awakened Shadow is the third one. That was also on the DS and the last Blue Dragon. Oh, game. God, man. That's like 100 something, $248 for complete. I told you. <laughs> that's insane, dude. The DS games have gotten stupid. <laughs> that's the last Blue Dragon game. The, the series oh, died man. at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I would say deflated. You say deflated, so we'll mark oh, yeah. it as deflated for sure. Yeah, definitely a worthy pickup. Yeah. Same with well, Lost very... Odyssey. If you like to read, Lost Odyssey, you will read. You will probably read more than play. Gotcha. Good Good to know, actually. It's got like 100 <laughs> short stories Holy inside, crap. and they're all memories, and they all, they're all canon to... Yeah. Uh, but they're beautifully written. And it's like uh, six discs, right? It's quite a four, few discs. Four discs. Four. Okay, yeah. Sweet. Well, Barry, appreciate you coming on this week's episode. Appreciate the update for Premium Edition Games. Always a blast to have you on here. Sad that Ryan didn't get to join oh, us, but next, you know, time. next time for sure. Um, yeah. Well, this has been episode 204 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John. And I'm Barry. And thanks for listening. <laughs>